So I think we can probably get started. One in a hundred Americans suffer from epilepsy, with nearly 30% of these patients having recurrent seizures despite an appropriate first-line anti-epileptic drug. Importantly, recent data has led major academic societies, including the American Academy of Neurology, to recommend that patients with complex partial seizures with or without secondary generalization who failed a first-line AED be referred to an epilepsy surgical center. The reason being, the addition of a second AED to a first-line therapy or a third agent after two agents have failed yields exponentially decreasing efficacy for the prevention of future seizures. Surgery, as we've discussed in prior shows on the non-pharmacologic management of epilepsy, offers patients an enormous opportunity for seizure control where medications have failed. Unfortunately, while some 750,000 Americans may have drug-resistant epilepsy, only about 1,500 surgeries are performed every year. And referrals take time, with recently published data indicating that patients may not be referred to an epilepsy surgery center for 10 years or more after being diagnosed with epilepsy. So what are we doing with these patients in the meantime? Welcome back to Brainwaves, a podcast about neurology and medicine and all the fascinating science and history that come with it. I'm your host, Jim Siegler. This week on the program, the efficacy of additional anti-epileptic drugs in patients with refractory epilepsy and why you might like Clobazam. Stay with us. Pharmacologically, clobazam is a benzodiazepine, similar in structure to diazepam and lorazepam, which we use frequently to abort seizures in patients who are actively seizing. But clobazam has a unique structure in which nitrogen atoms are arranged in the 1 and 5 position as opposed to the 1 and 4 position that we see in all other benzodiazepines. Also, unlike the 1,4 benzodiazepines, which are non-selective full agonists of the GABA-A receptor, clobazam is a partial agonist and more selectively targets the A2 subunits of this receptor. For reasons that are beyond the scope of this podcast, this higher affinity to a specific component of the GABA receptor is likely what makes it less sedating when compared to the non-selective 1,4 benzos. But you're not listening to this podcast to hear all about the basic science and pharmacology of the medications. We're going to talk about the clinical utility. Originally marketed as an anxiolytic in 1975, Clobazam was quickly found to have potent anticonvulsant properties. Onfi is one of the more recently approved medications for the treatment of epilepsy in the United States. It's been widely used in Europe. Conveniently enough, both clobazam and its metabolite, N-desmethylclobazam, are both biologically active compounds, which probably contributes to its additional efficacy. And it has sort of a longer half-life, so it's more efficacious. As I'm sure you're aware, clobazam is delivered orally, and it can achieve peak plasma concentrations within one to four hours of administration. Unfortunately, because it's insoluble, we do not have an IV or an IM formulation, so it's only available PO, which limits its use in patients who are actively seizing or in patients with some sort of feeding tube. Its sedating effects may also limit its efficacy, as patients may be more fatigued at higher doses, higher doses being more efficacious in this medication. And as a benzodiazepine, there is certainly the risk of worsening seizures following withdrawal of the medication. But otherwise, its side effect profile is minimal. It has very few interactions with other medications, like we see with valproic acid and phenytoin, and clobazam is generally well tolerated by patients. So clinically, what is clobazam for? 
In patients with epilepsy, clobazam was approved by the FDA in October 2011 as an adjunctive therapy to treat seizures associated with Lennox-Gastaut syndrome. And it was only approved for the indication of Lennox-Gastaut syndrome. And only in patients over two years of age. Sadly, that remains the only FDA-approved indication. But it remains a highly effective treatment for these patients. According to Phase two trial data, high-dose clobazam can reduce the frequency of atonic seizures in patients with LGS by 85%. Two-thirds of treated patients even had a reduction in these seizures by 75% or more. And this math may sound a little fuzzy, but it means that most patients not only had a reduction in their seizures, they had a significant reduction in the seizure burden. Several treated children also experienced other improvements in their quality of life. They could take off their helmets without fear of injury from drop attacks, and they could move around more freely. A later Phase three trial also confirmed that high-dose clobazam could reduce the rate of atonic seizures. This trial showed 68% seizure reduction once maintenance doses were achieved. But this is only data for patients with drop attacks due to LGS. What about other seizure types? Um, in academic centers it's, and across the world, it's often used off-label for all sorts of epilepsy. By the time a patient is classified as having drug-resistant epilepsy, meaning they've had recurrent seizures despite trials of at least two tolerated and appropriately dosed AEDs, whether alone or in combination, by the time you've had recurrent seizures in spite of this, the likelihood of achieving seizure freedom is only about 15% with a trial of a third agent. And this estimate is based on observational data that was published by Luciano and colleagues in 2007. These patients may be some of the most important to target with an intervention that can reduce seizure frequency with failure of standard of pharmacologic care. For these patients, seizure freedom is not common. And as seizures can beget more seizures, some patients may continue to seize despite appropriate rescue therapies, therapies like our 1-4 benzodiazepines. In patients who continue to seize despite an appropriately dosed benzo and at least one loadable anti-epileptic drug, these patients who have refractory status epilepticus we're often confronted with the question, can we safely add a second AED, or do we escalate to intravenous anesthetics? In stable patients, or in patients for whom intubation and birth suppression is not desired by the patient or family, it might be reasonable to trial that patient on a second AED. If they've been loaded with levetiracetam, then lacosamide or phosphonatoin might be good next-line agents. But what about clobazam? Let's look back at some data from one retrospective cohort. Would the addition of clobazam in patients with refractory status epilepticus suppress seizures? In that small study, 17 adult patients were treated with clobazam for refractory status after having continued to seize despite two anti-epileptic drugs. For 16 of the 17 patients, this was the last drug that was added in order to reduce the seizure burden to an acceptable level. In three-quarters of treated patients, the refractory status terminated within 24 hours without the need for additional medications. For a third of patients, clobazam averted the need for intravenous anesthesia, which is our standard of care for refractory status. Now, this is pretty exciting data, but maybe these patients were selectively targeted. Maybe they'd already shown a response to benzodiazepines in the past. Maybe there was something inherent to their seizure types which made them better candidates. I mean, who knows? Let's consider then another retrospective study. 97 adult patients were included, the majority of whom had a localization-related epilepsy, mostly involving the temporal lobes, so not Lennox-Gastaut. In these patients, who were referred for consideration of epilepsy surgery, 
they'd failed at least two therapeutic trials of medications like carbamazepine, phenytoin, or valproic acid. Clobazam was added on to the last trialed medication in all 97 patients. 14 patients who had refractory seizures despite their two AEDs, they became seizure-free with Clobazam. And half of patients had a more than 50% reduction in their seizure burden, whereas the other half had improvement in seizure frequency, but it was less than 50%. Now, the skeptic in me is saying this data cannot be trusted. What's to say that any of these patients from these retrospective studies might have had a similar response to a medication like glucosamide or a newer class of medicines like eslacarbazepine? I mean, these patients were not randomized. There's no comparator. What's to say that clobazam would be any better than another AED? And I think it's hard to say. I don't think that we can know for sure that clobazam is any better than another therapeutic AED. But what we can say is that without the addition of clobazam, these adults with mostly localization-related epilepsy achieved much greater seizure control with clobazam than they might otherwise have. And yet we have other data that supports the use of clobazam as an add-on therapy. Stronger data. According to one randomized double-blind crossover trial of pediatric patients with refractory seizures that was published by Keen and colleagues, patients were randomized to clobazam or placebo for three months, and then they crossed over to placebo or to clobazam. Patients continued their prior AED regimen without modification during this study. Now, this was published in 1990, so we've known these data for a long time. And in all metrics that were assessed, seizure burden was reduced with clobazam. In 2019, the Cochrane Collaboration published a systematic review of trials like this, assessing clobazam as an add-on therapy for drug-resistant epilepsy. Four double-blind, randomized crossover trials were evaluated, including almost 200 patients and the trial we just mentioned. And this is the conclusion that was drawn by the authors. I quote, Clobazam as an add-on treatment may reduce seizure frequency and may be the most effective in focal-onset seizures. While this statement comes with a caveat that the four trials summarized in this analysis were inherently different, they all had unique methodologies and variable outcome measures, it does appear that whatever the outcome measure that was studied in those trials, 50% seizure reduction, seizure freedom, treatment-related adverse events, whatever the outcome was, in general, these studies indicate that patients do better with clobazam than without it. In spite of these mounting data, just the other day, I had a patient with new-onset refractory seizures in the hospital, despite having been therapeutically treated with levetiracetam and lecosamide, new medications for her. And we treated her with clobazam with immediate seizure resolution. After she was discharged, it took us two days to convince her insurance provider to authorize the use of this medication. It didn't matter that we had tried two other acceptable agents and she continued to seize. It didn't matter that clobazam was the last and possibly the most effective drug that we used to suppress our seizure activity. The physician on the other end of the line who was helping us to authorize this medication, he refused to authorize this medication because the FDA really only recommended clobazam to be used in Lenox-Gastaut. He demanded that we provide him with citations for at least two papers showing that clobazam would be useful in other populations. And that's really what prompted me to put together this talk, to share the results that I came across and the results that I had to use in a real-world scenario to convince a patient's insurance to approve her for a medication that provided her with seizure freedom. While the FDA has only approved clobazam as a therapeutic adjunct in patients with LGS, it's important for us to recognize these other scenarios in which a patient may benefit from its off-label use. And it is important for us to fight for these indications and to advocate for our patients. 
Historically, adding a third AED after two drug failures may only have succeeded in achieving seizure freedom in 1% of patients, and more recent data indicates that 15% of patients may have some reduction of seizure frequency with a third agent. And while non-pharmacologic interventions such as epilepsy surgery absolutely need to be considered, I don't think that we can ignore the data on clobazam. Pulling the results from all the studies we discussed today, we can take away that clobazam dramatically reduces the seizure burden in localization-related epilepsy, and it does this in more than half of treated patients. Clobazam appears to have efficacy in refractory status epilepticus, it appears to work in children and adults, and it has a safety profile that rivals most of our traditionally first-line therapies. That's it for our show this week. If you enjoyed the program, you might enjoy some prior shows featuring Dr. Miriam Abdenator and Dr. Daniel Becker on the non-pharmacologic management of patients with drug-resistant epilepsy, which were released back in late 2017, episodes 86 and 87. While clobazam may be a useful adjunct in appropriately selected patients or patients who do not desire surgery for epilepsy, these other options should be strongly considered in patients with refractory seizures. Please refer to expert and evidence-based guidelines for the selection of these surgical candidates. This podcast is not meant to guide decision-making. The Brainwaves podcast is produced at a studio three in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania by myself, Jim Siegler. Music for this week's program was courtesy of Chris Zabriskie, Milton Arias, and John Bartman under a Creative Commons license. Sound effects by Mike Koenig and Daniel Simeon. I'm Jim Siegler. Thanks for listening.